Hey guys, hello. Hey, are you waving like the Queen? Ohio. Uh, so come on, let's pray. Let's rein it in, Tiger. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are here tonight. Father, we thank you that you have something to say. So, Father, I ask that every one of us in this room, including me, would be open to hear what that is. Father, would you speak tonight? Would there be less of me and more of you, Father? And I just pray, God, that there would be hungry hearts and and open ears for you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the verse that I'm going to focus on tonight. It's Romans 8, 28, and it says, For we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And at first glance, I mean, this, this, this verse is pretty cool. It effectively tells me that in, in any circumstance, in anything that's going on, God is going to bring some sort of good out of it for me. Because, you know what, I love Him. And, yep, I guess I'm called according to His purpose as well. But I've been thinking about it, I've been meditating on it for a while and, and really sitting with it and it, I, I believe it goes so much deeper and there's so much more value in this, in this verse. It's not just about the outward appearance here, I think it, it carries so much more internally. So I'll give you a bit of pre-context to the verse, Romans 8 is my favorite passage, um, chapter in the Bible, I, I love it. Um, it starts out with, therefore... Um, Whoever is in Christ, oh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think that's a fantastic verse. It's, it's awesome. I base my life around it. It's great. Living in freedom. But it begins to talk about further down in the passage about the glory of, of, of the hope of glory of going to heaven one day. It starts talking about how all of creation are waiting, ex- expectantly waiting for the sons and daughters of God to arise and show themselves off. And it's talking about that day, that glorious day, where one day we'll be joined with God again in heaven. And it's talking about the hope that we can have for that and and waiting patiently. And it begins to talk about how the Spirit actually helps us in our weaknesses. And, you know, that, that awesome thing that we don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit helps us. And it actually says in there that the Spirit pleads for us, us believers, in harmony with God's own will. Did you know that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is pleading in harmony with God's will? That we would line up with God's will? So tonight I want to break this, this passage, this scripture, this one verse down into three sections. What is good? what is love, and what is called according to His purpose. So we'll kick off with what is good. What does good mean? And the the Greek word here is agathos, which basically simply means good, benefit, and good things. So it means good. And I mean, this is talking about God. God is good. God is great. And, and everything that God gives us is good. There's nothing bad that God will ever give you. He's a good father and he gives you good things and he loves you. So no matter what situation, we know that God is always, 
God's intent is to always give us good things. He's always going to pour out goodness into us, nothing bad, nothing, nothing terrible. And I believe that, that this verse is talking about keeping your eyes on the prize. I mean, Paul just finishes talking about having a hope for glory, having a hope about the future to come, and having a hope about being reunited with God in heaven. And, and he goes on to say that God works good out of all situations. We know that all, in all things, God works for the good, that there is good to find in every circumstance. It doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter what we're facing. There's always some good to find. But I believe that he's talking about that there's one good. There's just the one good thing that in any circumstance, in any situation, it will prevail. It will never be squashed, quashed, or anything. In all circumstances, the one good thing that will always be there is the gift of Jesus. The, the, the good gift that he's talking about, the good thing that God works in us is being reunited with Christ, being one with Christ, being reunited with God through Christ. Jesus is our good gift in all circumstances. But you know, Christ, the Bible says that Christ will continue to do a good work in you until the end. And it's, it's not just about trusting in God that, that good will come. It's about knowing that you're on a path, knowing that you're on a purpose-driven lifestyle, and there's a reason for what you come up against. There's a reason for the things that you face in this world. Like, take, take David, for example. If we can get that next scripture up of Samuel. So David has just come down from, from tending to the sheep in the fields to bring some food to his brothers who are on on the, the war lines, the, there's, a, there's an, a battle happening, and we all know the story of David and Goliath. So Goliath has just come out, and he begins to talk down to the Israelites, and he begins to taunt them and tease them and mock them. And so David comes in midway through this and begins to hear what Goliath is saying. And anyway, he works his way up and ends up being in, in a court with, with Saul. He gets a moment to speak to Saul, and he basically says to Saul, let me go fight him. Now, Marley, can you just stand up for me, man? See, you, you, did you stand up? Like, I can't really tell. You're like, no, that's my point. He's like, that was David. David was a runt. He was so tiny. He was so small. He knows I love him, but he was so tiny. He was so little. See, like, look at the difference between Tom and Marley. Josiah in Josiah and Marley. Josiah's taller. It's very yeah. Scott's got big kids. But David, he was a tiny man, and it was just strange that he would come up to the king and go, "Let me fight this giant who was like way taller than me." And and, and this is what he says to him. But but David persisted because Saul was like, "No, we're not sending you. You're like the weakest one here. We're not sending you at all." And he says. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw, so like it turns to bite him and he like grabs the jaw. And then that's with one hand, and then with the other hand he starts to club it to death. Have you ever thought of that? Like David, a little shepherd boy, 
grabs an animal, a bear or a lion, by the jaw and then just starts clubbing it to death, like, until it just stops. What a peculiar thing. And I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. See, David knew. David was future focused, not presence focused, present focused. David knew that the struggles that he went through in the wilderness were to set him up for a day where he would face something much greater. But the the things that he learned in the wilderness, clubbing to death bears and lions, he learned and he knew that that would be enough to overcome Goliath with. See, he was future focused. When he came against a problem, when he came against a situation and something in his life, he looked further beyond that. And he knew that God was building and instilling something inside of him to carry him through the the next period of his life. How many times have you faced a situation and, and gone through it and then a year or two later looked back and gone, wow, I'm really glad that I went through that because it's really helped me get through this. I'm really glad that that situation happened in my life because it means that I've learned that I've, I've gained the tools and the, the skills necessary to better myself through this current situation. See, he learned hard and harsh lessons in the wilderness so that he could rise to an occasion and knock down Goliath. What, what is Christ doing inside of you? What, what situations are you walking through at the moment that are weighing you down? What work is he doing? What Goliath is he setting you up to take on? The second, the second part is uh, love. And, and this word love here, it derives from agape. It's agapeo, I think. I don't know. That sounds about right, eh? Agapeo. And it's the same word that's used in John eight forty two. So if we can get that next scripture up, please. Jesus is having a discussion with a bunch of Pharisees, and he says, our, uh, the Pharisees say, our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would agapeo me. You would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you, agapeo, you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. Where he lies, when he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. See, this word isn't just talking about love as, as a warm, fluffy feeling inside of your stomach that you feel towards someone else. It's talking about obedience. It's talking about doing the will of the Father. It's a talking about laying your own life down and following what God and Jesus have for you. 
See, it's not enough to just love God and, and have a nice feeling inside for Him and a fondness for Him, but, but you need to be willing to lay your life down. You need to be willing to, to pick up what He has placed inside of you and run towards Him. It's an obedience. It's a following His will. It's, Lord, let your will be done in me as it is in heaven. Yet how many times, how many times do we do this? How many times do we substitute our love for God for the will of this world or for the love of this world? How many times do we sacrifice what God wants us to do and what God has us chasing after because of something in the world? We start serving the world. We start loving the world more than what we love God. It says, for, it says, for those who love God, for those who are obedient to God, for those who want to do God's will, for those who want to lay it all down, you know, the Bible says that you will know my disciples because of their fruit, because they're following God's will, because they're doing His works. The world will know that you love God because you're following His will, because you're acting out His will on earth. See, I read this the other night. This is, this is one of those verses that just stumped me and just left me with my mouth wide open. Acts 5, 40 to 42. When I read this, I was just absolutely shocked. Uh, can we get Acts up, please? Thank you. So what, what's happened here is uh, the apostles, a couple of the apostles have been called in in front of the Sanhedrin. And... Um, they, they've been preaching about Jesus, and a bunch of them want to put them to death, but another one stands up and persuades them not to do that and just tell them not to do it anymore and let them go because we don't want to have a riot effectively. And so his speech, the one who stood up and persuaded them not to do it, persuaded them. So they called the apostles in and had them flogged. So they had them chained up to a pole and whipped and beaten and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And this is the part that got me. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. They left rejoicing. They had just been beaten. They had just been whipped. They had just been completely flogged. And they walked away from an absolute shellacking rejoicing. Smiles on their faces, cheering, God, yes, come on, that was awesome. Can you imagine that? Like, if you get, Charlie, can you imagine if you get called to, like, your mom's room and, like, wooden spoon a couple of times, and you're walking away, you're going, yes, woo, that was awesome, let's do it again. No, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have that, no. I wouldn't do that, because mom would call me back in, and I'd get a few more. But they were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. And then day after day, after they were ordered not to speak of Jesus again, day after day, every day, every day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped preaching. They never stopped teaching. They never stopped proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They went from being absolutely flogged but they had inside of them a love for God. They had inside of them such a, such a fierce love 
such a fear of God, but such an obedience and such a love that, that they would do anything that God asked them to do. They got, they got absolutely flogged, and knowing that that would be right around the corner, again, if they continued to do that, they, they just went and did it again. See, you know, they knew being united with God was worth it all. They had a changed perspective on life. They had a changed perspective on the situations they were facing because they understood what it meant to love God. And they understood what the good gift of Jesus Christ in their life meant. See, it wasn't a good thing that they got flogged. It wasn't a, a fantastic thing that should have happened. But, but, you know, they chose to look at it that way. That was the decision that they made internally. We all know that following God's will isn't often the safest path and some harm and some hard, hard days can come of that. You know, people were thrown in jail, beaten and killed. Even, even now, people get beheaded and mutilated just for choosing God in this world. Where's the good in that? They were obedient to God. They loved him. They, they understood what it was to love God. And they had the hope of the future glory. They had the hope of one day coming in through those pearly gates and being face to face with God for the first time. They loved God more than anything bad that could happen to them. The guys who are in the Middle East at the moment who are facing life or death persecution, they love God more than anything else that this world could have to offer, more than anything else that this world could, could throw at them. Do I love God that much? Do you? And finally, what, what, is God call, what does called according to His purpose mean? See, you have to remember that when you're called to Jesus, when on that fantastic and, and memorable day where you accept Jesus into your life for the first time, it's not an end point, but it's only a start point. It's only the beginning of a journey with Him. It's only a beginning of a journey that He laid out before the foundation of the world for you. Did you know that He predestined you before the foundation of the world? He had a plan and a purpose just for you. When you were in your mother's womb, He, he knew. He knew the plans that He had for you. See, God, God calls you for a reason every day. He calls you to get out of bed every day for a reason, that there is purpose to your life. There is purpose to every breath that you take. It's not by accident that you're here. It's not by accident that you can breathe in and breathe out. It's, it's for a purpose. It's for a destiny. It's to change the world that inside of you is the breath to literally redevelop this world, to change this world and to see it one for Jesus every day. Every moment, every circumstance, every situation. And when you put all this together, it's about living out that purpose. To see, to see the good that Christ has for you and to know that that needs to be shared with people around you. See, so you've got to have your eyes so fixated on God to know your purpose. You can't know who you are. You don't know who your mom and dad is without spending time with them. You don't know who your partner is, your boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, whatever it may be. You don't know who they are unless you spend time with them. You don't know what they feel towards you unless you spend time with them. 
unless you talk to them and, and develop a relationship with them and learn from them. See, we gotta, we gotta, we got to develop relationship with God to know what our purpose is. we got to spend time with Him to know what He wants us to do, to know how much He loves us, but how much He wants us to achieve. We've got to have our eyes fixated on God and not on the things of this world. And I think, I think back to situations in my life and, and circumstances where it's been really, really hard and, and frustrating and my eyes have been blinded by anger, frustration, sadness, annoyance, all of those sort of things that have just blinded me to the good that God has in my life, the perspective of Jesus in my life. Frustration, jealousy, lust, whatever it may be. And I think back to all of those times where my joy was robbed because I chose this world instead instead of God. You know, the passage... It continues to talk about how nothing can separate us from God's love. Paul says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love. And it goes on to tell us that that we have an overwhelming victory. A a victory that that nothing can stop. When you understand that the severity of what Jesus did on the cross, the magnitude of, of that victory how much that changes our lives, how much that changes the way we interact with people, how much that changes the way we look at ourselves and the way that we we look at our circumstances. Things get hard, I know. Trust me, I know, things get really hard. But man, things are going to get so much better. Things are going to get so, so much better. That day where we're with God and there's no more pain, There's no more weeping. There's no more suffering. Man, it's going to get better on that day. And that's what I hold to every day, that there is a hope of things that are going to be better, a time where things will get better, a time where all the the pain of this world will just wash away. And I want every single person to experience that, a life without pain, a life without suffering. Man. See, you've got to know got to know that you're called. You got to know that God has a purpose for you. You got to know that it all came because of an overwhelming victory. That we only have a purpose. We only have life because of Christ. We only have we only have life because of him and and what he did on the cross. What do we expect out of situations in our lives? You know, it talks about all things. It's 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 all situations. It's all events. It's all moments. It's the good, the bad, the ugly, the fantastic, the joyful. In all of those circumstances, Christ is enough. He's the good that we need. He's the only good that we need. We don't need anything out of it. We don't need any any circumstance to come. We don't need any awesome story because we know we know the most awesome story has already come. We know the most awesome victory has already happened. See, I'm not saying that we're not to look for God to bless us in situations like that. You know, the little blessings go a long way. But and I know that if we were to go around the room, every single person would have a story of some time when they were in such a despair and God saved them. 
where God rescued them and pulled them out of something or gave them something when they needed it or someone reached out. We could go on for hours about the stories of God's goodness. I'm not saying that this verse doesn't talk about God blessing us. It, it does. It definitely does because He blessed us with His Son. This verse is talking about perspective, that you need to take yourself out of the situation. You need to look at it for what it really is, and that's God's over, already overcome it, that God has already won the victory over it. God had already beaten Goliath. He just needed someone to stand up and take him down. See, the situations and the giants and the problems that you face in your life, God has already won. He needs you to have the courage and the boldness to stand up and take that victory, to take that perspective, to know that positivity will come out of this situation because God is in my life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And if it's Christ who lives in you, then it's all good. It's all good, man. Everything, it's all good. Nothing can be bad when you've got Christ living inside of you. See, you've got to realize how much reconciliation with God means to your life. How much, how much the knowledge of, of, of God as the Father, but, but Jesus as the Savior, means to your life. Because when you understand, when you come up against something of, of persecution... When you come up against something of difficulty, you know that this doesn't have the right to steal my joy. This doesn't have the right to rob me. God has already brought good out of this situation because I love Him so fervently. Oh, I want to I worship Him. I want to praise Him. I want to do all that He has for me. I want to follow His will. I want to be the one who lives His will out on this earth because I know that that's His plan for me. One of the last things Jesus said to his disciples was, go and make disciples of all nations. You want to know what your purpose is? That's the basis of it all. Go and make disciples. Whatever field that God places you in, whatever sphere of influence he places you in, make some disciples. Pour out some love. Show some positive positive perspective. You know how much that changes a work environment? You know how much that changes someone else's day? When things are really hard, when things are really tough in your life and the other people around you can see that, when you turn around, you stand tall and you say, no, nah, it's all good. I'm still happy. I've still got my joy. I've still got my purpose. Then, then other people start to catch a hold of that and go, hold on, I want that. I want to be joyful no matter what the circumstances See, I believe that, that that scripture, if we can go back to that picture, man. And we know that in all things, when we add God into our situation, when we look at God, when we focus on God, when God becomes the biggest thing in our heads, when God becomes the biggest thing that we're looking at, we understand the good. Because we know that we, that we can love Him again. We know that we can be called according to a purpose. When we understand. Yeah, it's talking about blessings that God can give us. It's talking about the little things that can come in our lives. But 
But I think more than that, it's talking about your perspective. That when you realize how great and how good the gift of Jesus is, how great and how good it is that he rose three days later, and how great and how good it is that he ascended to heaven, and how great and how good it is that one day he will come again. Oh man, that's when you can have some good in your life. That's when things start to fall in perspective, and those problems and those waves and those giants that you're standing up against, they seem a whole lot smaller in comparison to the greatness and the goodness and the almightiness that God is. So tonight, I just wanted to, I want to encourage you. That's it. I just want to encourage you that in everything that you do, in every difficulty that you face, in every situation, every circumstance, find the goodness. Find where Jesus is. Find Him. Find Him in it all. It's time that we get more positive. You know, we don't, we as the church don't need a victim mentality. You know, these guys who are overseas who are, who are getting persecuted for loving God and chased down and hunted down, man, they're not after playing the victim card. They don't need to because they understand that they've already won. They understand that, that they haven't lost. Man, if they lose their lives, they haven't lost. God's just won. And they get to go and be with God again. They understand. And you know, I'm not saying that we don't. But I think we take it for granted sometimes. God's goodness and and His faithfulness. I think we overlook that sometimes. And I think the church really needs to get more positive. And the church really needs to start looking to God more. Not, not, our, not just us, but everyone across the world. Man, we, we, need to, we need to have Christ as our be-all and end-all. It doesn't matter what else this world gives us. Christ is enough in all situations, in all things, in all moments, in all events. Come on, let's pray. Father, I just thank you, God. Lord, that you gave us such a great gift. Father, you poured out everything. You gave up everything in your son. Lord, you, you sent your son to slaughter. Father, that he didn't have any other purpose. You know, he, his main goal in life was to die on that cross and liberate us from death. He did a whole bunch of awesome, cool stuff around that. But, Lord, he was born to die. Father, I pray that we would have a a deeper revelation of what it is to live in positivity. Father, a deeper revelation of what it is to, to look for you in everything. To look for you in all situations, God. To know that you already have the victory. Father, to know that we only need to be positive. Father, to know that that it's already been done. It's already been won. The fight's over. The battle's over. You're victorious. We're victorious. Lord, that we get to be reconciled with with you again. So, Father, I pray that, that we would look to you more. Father, our eyes would be firmly fixed on you, God. We wouldn't substitute you out for things of this world, but, God, we would find everything we need in you. 
that you would be our everything, that you would be enough for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if the worship team want to come up again, we might just end the night worshiping God, but um, if you need prayer for anything, Scott needs prayer for his leg. It's the most he's worked out all week. Susie's like, yes, it is. <laughs> if you need some prayer for anything at all, you know, the altar's open and, and someone who loves God and loves you would love to come and pray for you. So, um, yeah, we're just going to worship God tonight. And, yeah, if you need some prayer, why don't you come on down to the front?